Our dependence on connected technology is growing faster than our ability to secure it, especially in areas affecting public safety and human life. I'm Bryson Bort, and this is Hack the Plant. Electricity, finance, transportation, our water supply. We take these critical infrastructure systems for granted, but they're all becoming increasingly dependent on the internet to function. Every day, I ask and look for answers to the questions. Does our connectivity leave us more vulnerable to attacks by our enemies? I'm a senior fellow at the R Street Institute and the co-founder of the nonprofit ICS Village, educating people on critical infrastructure security with hands-on examples, not just nerd stuff. I founded Grimm in 2013, a consultancy that works the front lines of these problems every day for clients all over the world. It's playing out in Israel right now where hackers have been going after Israeli water systems. Again, not to steal information from them, but to change the setting on the chemicals in Israeli water. Each month, I'm going to walk you through my world of hackers, insiders, and government working on the front lines of cybersecurity and public safety to protect the systems you rely upon every day. If you think that the small town water authorities and the mom and pop size companies uh, have better cybersecurity in the US than the Israelis do, I have really, really bad news for you. An attack on our critical infrastructure, the degradation to the point that they can no longer support us means that we go back to the Stone Age literally overnight. If we think the government's gonna solve it for us, we're wrong, we have to help them. This is not a podcast for the faint of heart. If you want to meet those protecting the world and what problems keep them up at night, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Bryson Bort, and this is Hack the Plant. For today's episode, I'm joined by John Ellis, who heads up Industrial Cyber Alliances at Siemens Energy. We're here today to talk about a new industry-led apprenticeship program focusing on critical infrastructure protection called CISAP, short for Cybersecurity and Industrial Infrastructure Security Apprenticeship Program. The ICS Village is proud to be one of the partners of this program. Tom Van Norman, my co-founder with the ICS Village, noted, high-profile industrial control system security issues have grabbed the headlines and sparked change throughout all industries. This apprenticeship program will provide our nonprofit with another avenue to train and introduce people to industrial control systems that are used within critical infrastructure and to help close the gap on the shortage of skilled employees. This program puts employer and workforce needs at the forefront of the academic program design. You know, there was a really great SANS survey that came out recently that said that 56% of industrial or OT asset owners are actually not able to complete industrial cyber projects because of a lack of human resources within the organization. And you know, when we look at, for instance, the NIST CyberSeq website to see where there are open roles, and you do the math, you find that pretty quickly there's, um, what is it, something like 65% or, or uh, something like that of the demand out there. That's You can only cover about 65% of the cyber security workforce demand with the existing workforce today. So we need to we need to do something to address that gap. 
we need to either build that workforce or reskill existing um, uh, individuals that are looking to, to get into new fields, that's the approach that we're taking. So the need is there. We know that cyber risk is there. We know that adversaries are, are constantly reskilling and skilling up as well. And we need to build a um, protective workforce around that. Join us as we discuss the design of the cohort and how to better leverage collaboration among tech companies, service companies, academia, and government to train the cyber workforce of the future. Uh, if you could start off with an introduction, please. Hey, so my name's John Ellis. I work at Siemens Energy, and I, I head up our industrial cyber alliances. So working between technology companies, service companies, uh, academic partners, and um, and really trying to uh, build the relationships that, that our company needs to be successful. So John, you, you recently just led a big announcement for the Cybersecurity and Industrial Infrastructure Security Apprenticeship Program, CIISAP. Which first question, is that supposed to be a playoff of CISA? Oh, of course, right? It's, uh, it's definitely a playoff of CISA and, and uh, you know, very intentionally. We, um, we're working in the same space and, and find a lot of um, you know, shared, shared topics there. So what is it? What this program is about is we're trying to solve one of the really big issues right now in critical infrastructure protection. And that is, where do you find the resources to be able to, to really care after these, um, these resources, these assets out there? So how we formulated this is we thought, you know, really a lot of the programs that exist today are either led by academia, they're led by government. Uh, where's that industry voice? So we wanted to have an industry-led apprenticeship program that really brought together the skills that are needed directly in the workforce, but also tie that back to make sure that we're creating academic programs that match employer needs, um, such as Siemens Energy, and um, and really putting that together into a, a cohesive program. So, you know, one of the things that we found when we were thinking through this program is that, you know, a lot of individuals out there that that know about OT or industrial cybersecurity, they um, they, they typically have to take a really organic approach to it. Maybe they started off as a controls engineer, technician, uh, and then moved into the cybersecurity space uh, organically, right? From like a workplace project or something like that. Um, if we found that typically it takes about 10 to 12 years to develop the skill set needed to understand both the physical process and the cyber piece of it. And we wanted to find ways to, to really bring that number down and get a, a work-ready workforce focused on industrial cyber in a shorter amount of time. And, um, and Siemens Energy has a lot of experience building apprenticeship programs, worker-student programs, internships. Uh, I myself have actually been in two of those programs. And, um, and we, we you know, leaned to that tool. We reached for that tool to help address this issue. What is the value of the industry voice? You mentioned that there are government programs out there. There are academic programs that are out there. So who cares if it's industry driving one? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. So I think where, where industry has a place in capturing that voice is that we're working directly with the asset owners in many cases. And um, you know, we, we hear their needs. We, we know what types of solutions they're looking for, services, uh, and, and we as a company uh, you know, are often in need of similar services and, and skill sets and, and those types of things. So we, have a, we are essentially the demand side of this education pipeline. 
And we feel that that's a really great place to start when thinking about what the structure of academic programs look like, and even the structure of, uh, of, of workforce development programs. You mentioned the multiple elements and probably more fundamentally, the length of time it requires to become, I don't know what I would say expert, but uh, functionally competent in this area. Wh why is it that it's so challenging here compared to uh, traditional uh, modes of the workforce in cybersecurity? Yeah, it's a really great question. So one, I think is, you know, there are a lot of cybersecurity programs available today. And um, you know what we found uh, in in academia. So there are a lot of cybersecurity programs, boot camps, things like that that uh, that one can go to to learn about cybersecurity. What we found is that many of them end up on the IT side, right? Looking after apps, cell phones, laptops, that type of thing. There there are far fewer programs. At our last count, less than ten programs in the United States right now that that uh, that actually teach about cybersecurity for industrial uh, infrastructure. So really looking at PLCs and HMIs and all these industrial assets, these control systems that sit within our critical infrastructure, there are very few programs that train about how to protect them. And then, you know, to go on top of that, I think there's a really important aspect about the, the viewpoint here. So in order to, or at least our position on what it takes to be a really great industrial cybersecurity defender, you need to have an understanding of the underlying physical process. So that's either power generation, water filtration, right, manufacturing, any of those types of uh, those sectors. You need to have an understanding of the physical process as well as the cyber side. And it's just really tough to find learning opportunities where an individual can get both of those experiences because you're going to need to have physical access to these types of systems somewhere. And uh, fortunately, we're, we're in that space, right? We, we, um, we're an OEM. Uh, we we work with a lot of our partners to to develop um, new solutions and services that are very specific to this market, and then we're also a cybersecurity provider. But you know, in this podcast, I also want to to really note that uh, that we're not alone in this initiative. We knew from the start that we wanted to build an ecosystem, and that this was more of an industry wide kind of lift all boats type of play. And uh, that's why we, we started with an ecosystem, but wanted to start from the position of an industry-led ecosystem. So why now for the program? Yeah, it's a really great question. So, you know, we, I'm looking at some of the surveys that have been going around recently, I think really points to the, the problem, why we, need, why we need a program like this now. And, you know, there was a really great SANS survey that came out recently that said that 56% uh, of industrial or OT uh, asset owners are actually not able to, to complete industrial cyber projects because of a lack of human resources within the organization. And, you know, when we look at, uh, uh, for instance, the NIST CyberSeq website to, to see where there are open roles, and you do the math, you find that pretty quickly there's, um, what is it, something like 65% or, or uh, something like that um, of, uh, of the demand out there. That's, you can only cover about 65% of the cybersecurity workforce demand with the existing workforce today. So we need, to, we need to do something to address that gap. We need to either build that workforce or reskill existing um, uh, individuals that are looking to, to get into new fields. Um, that's, that's the approach that we're taking. So the need is there. We know that cyber risk is there. 
we know that adversaries are are constantly reskilling and skilling up as well, and we need to to build a um, a protective workforce around that. What are the expectations for the program, and when does it start? The expectation is that we're going to aim for the academic year of 2022-23, so starting in the late fall of, uh, of, of 2022. That's, um, that's when we're looking to start this. In terms of the expectations, you know, we're, we're really uh, looking for three different groups of, of people, or, or maybe more, that will be part of this program. In the first group, you know, it's really those individuals that don't have cybersecurity experience or industrial uh, controls experience. So these are, you know, uh, someone that's just entering the workforce or perhaps is changing industries entirely and is uh, and sees an opportunity for themselves. And you know, another another group that we're looking at and and really want to serve with a program like this are those that have industrial controls experience but no cyber experience. So you know, thinking about those that have, um, you know. Uh, industrial controls technician experience. Uh, maybe they uh, they've worked on on uh, types of technology that are kind of transitioning out right now um, in the energy transition, or or even um, uh, looking at another group that has the cybersecurity experience, but uh, you know no industrial controls experience. So thinking cyber operators, those in IT cyber uh, that are looking to upskill or kind of reskill into the industrial space. So those are the populations that we're that we're trying to help with this program or really to reach with this program. And, um, you know, the structure of it, the way that we're looking at this is we think that you really need to have more of a rotational experience. So experiential learning is at the core of this. And we want participants, apprentices in this program to get hands-on experience with real assets out in the field, you know, touching these control systems, knowing how to set them up, knowing how to configure them, knowing how to service them all that hands-on physical equipment side of this. And then on the other side of that, we wanna be able to provide the back office, software-driven, threat hunting, uh, you know, working off of a playbook, those types of experiences as well. So we're combining this program into four rotations that'll also include a two-year part-time degree that's earned along the way, and then also building in opportunities to, to gain industry-recognized certifications, licenses, um, but importantly, community is part of this. How are you looking at community with this program? I'm glad you asked. So we um, we we were pretty fortunate when we when we started thinking about this this program. We actually partnered up with uh, with Johns Hopkins um, Cary Business School, and they had a a design thinking class. And we put the question towards that class: How should we be rethinking the design of apprenticeship programs in 2021? Is when we when we asked the question. And what we heard back was that we needed to be more more flexible uh, in the approach, being able to to reach uh, you know individuals that have family at home, uh, looking beyond the traditional apprenticeship model. So that's one of the things that we built into this. The other is so how we built that in is is uh, looking at remote options, flexibility in learning, and and really pairing that up with company policies as well that allow for some flexibility. So that was really one of the central things. The other thing that we learned from surveys and just going out there and asking questions, meeting real apprentices that exist today, right? And, and saying, what works for you? What doesn't? What we also heard is that joining up with a buddy was really important to a lot of people. So they want to be able to, just like the military, right? Join with a friend or uh, you know, join, join in a cohort. 
And then you get that community experience. You can learn off, learn from each other as well as just taking the classes. And you know, in cybersecurity, I think there's a really important space for, for that type of community approach because when everyone's working from similar playbooks, you can respond to distributed events, which uh, pop up in the industrial sector a little bit more, uh, more commonly. So we're really trying to build in that community aspect that individuals can learn off of each other and react together. And um, you know that supports some of the models that we're seeing even at the state level now about how to how to develop fusion centers or uh, kind of joint responses, um, collective action against uh, against cyber attacks. Um, you know, building common playbooks for for everyone to to work off of, and that's that was another approach that we came from. So that brings out the skeptic in me. It sounds good to have somebody sign up with a buddy, but how do you actually? In, I mean, beyond encourage it, how does that actually come to bear? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question. So there's a there are a lot of approaches to to building apprenticeship programs and to building workforce programs. You know, the model that that quite often um, is used is to to simply train, then try to find the jobs, and that's uh, in our view, we want to actually start in a little bit different position. So in this, this type of program, we're asking that employers um, help those or really create positions that start roughly at the same time as when the academic training happens. So this means that individuals are going to be able to start class, start working at the same time. So there's a little bit of a built-in community there already because you're, you're hired in as a cohort. You have the same classmates. They might even work at a different company, but you're going to have same classmates you're going to have others within your same company that you're hired as part of. Um, they're going to be provided with a mentor as well uh, as part of the apprenticeship concept. And then importantly, and I think this is really where the ecosystem part of this comes in. Right from the beginning, we wanted to not just say this is a just industry and just academia. We wanted to really look at who were leaders in this space. So Bryson, you know, from uh, our, our work with ICS Village, we knew that ICS Village was a leading voice in, in education for industrial controls and um, has a great community around it. So we, we looked for those types of partnerships and, uh, and, and that type of voice to work with um, because, you know, we want to get that message out and we also want to welcome other companies in to, to collaborate with us and help develop this this workforce for everyone. Where do the mentors come from? Yeah. Um, so we're, we're very fortunate at Siemens Energy because we're, we're an OEM. We service uh, this equipment. We also um, provide uh, cybersecurity solutions and services. So we have a lot of in-house mentors. Um, but we're also looking beyond, you know, beyond our own organization to try to find uh, additional mentors. The expectation, though, for the, the apprenticeship program, this is more of a... Um, of a requirement of registered apprenticeship programs is that each apprentice must be partnered with a mentor. So we're asking companies that do want to step up and join this initiative, that they also start thinking about who their mentors, who their digital champions are, who their cybersecurity leaders are in their organizations to be able to support this type of program. That's a really good segue to who are the partners that are currently in the program and how can our listeners support or engage with this? Yeah, so I'm really glad you asked that question. So um, there are there are two universities that we're working with, and one I think uh, many will be familiar with, Idaho State University, uh, who works very closely with Idaho National Labs on on industrial cybersecurity, and is currently leading the the ICSCOP or Community of uh, of Practice. 
um, you know, that, that was uh, one of uh, the first partners that we, we contacted about this. Um, we're also working with Capital Technology University, which has a, you know, a fantastic programs at undergrad, master's, graduate level, uh, also on critical infrastructure. And then um, we're also working with uh, ICS Village, which I mentioned earlier, the Regional Economic Development for Eastern Idaho, or REDI, uh, Missy Academy, and, um, and Sons Institute. Yeah, we're, we're actively looking for additional academic partners, uh, nonprofits, uh, workforce development uh, organizations, um, and, uh, and additional employers as well. And the easiest way to reach out is um, you, can, you can email me. Uh, it's uh, just john.ellis at siemens-energy.com. And that's the best way to get started. We're, um, we're building up the team now, and we're looking to, uh, to make some announcements over the next uh, uh, short months. And, and they're actively looking for employers. Looking beyond the United States, is there opportunities with our allies or with other international countries? Absolutely. So this program right now, we're starting in the United States and focusing on the uh, the ten CISA regions, and we're we're really that's the starting point for this. But what we're really developing here is a framework that we think can be uh, shared and used um, to help build up. A, a localized workforce that is focused on industrial cybersecurity. And there's, um, there's some considerations in there. So, you know, done a lot of work uh, recently to try to figure out what this program will look like, what are kind of the, the core requirements. One of the things I would say is that if, if, uh, if others are looking to build a similar ecosystem or would like to do it with us, we are looking for academic institutions. And we found that there's uh, ones that have a Computer science department, a mechanical engineering department, and an engineering and uh, uh, electrical engineering department typically have the right skill set to at least get started in this process and develop a program. There's also some really fantastic publicly available tools um, to to even get entire curricula uh, related to industrial cybersecurity. So we uh, got some really great resources there. And um, you know, if I were to say, you know, what's what's in the kit to get started, you need to find a good academic partner, uh, local employers, and then also um, uh, organizations that can help you connect with potential apprenticeship apprentices. So, workforce development organizations, government-led initiatives to improve cyber skill sets, those types of things. All right, thinking more broadly, if you could wave a magic, air-gapped wand. What is one thing you would change? One of the things that I, I'm really happy to see, actually, so somebody already waved this wand, um, and I'll say a lot of the, the CISA leadership I've been seeing has been waving this wand, looking closer at public-private partnerships to address cybersecurity needs has been really, really great. And, um, and I'm, I'm liking the sector-level approach uh, because it captures the nuance uh, in each of the sectors, but it's also capturing the the industry voice and and other interested organizations. That's probably the the I'm happy that somebody waved that wand recently, and I, that would have been my ask a year ago, perhaps. Um, but I guess I need to come up with another one that's like fully my own, right? You can double down on uh, what's happening. I I will certainly note that there's been a lot of talk around what you just said, but. Full implementation. I think we're still away, ways away from it, uh, making everybody happy. 
And I agree. Yeah, I think um, you know, as we as we kind of get away from from EO or executive orders and 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 get more more tactical, that's going to be a really interesting process. And um, I think it's uh, it's going to be pretty exciting to see that those changes. You know, in terms of in terms of this apprenticeship, and or in terms of these types of programs. One of the biggest uh, gaps that I see that I would like to wave uh, a wand for would be to create funding opportunities for universities to expand their cybersecurity education more into the industrial space because the investment looks a little bit different. So I went to cybersecurity uh, master's program at Penn State. It was great. I got my student discount for Nessus and uh, and you know a couple other tools, right? Wireshark and the like. And it was great. And um, you know, I, I learned a lot of, of really important stuff. But I, uh, I I did not get experience with some of the industrial control systems or or those um, those more kind of physical assets that need to be touched to learn that that industry. Um, so I think that there's a gap in in funding to develop the types of laboratory experiences that we need to develop an industrial cybersecurity workforce. All right, there you go. And I, I was just thinking of uh, the metric to how we know that government uh, private public partnership is working will be that we will no longer say we need to do information sharing after the next breach. Yes. <laughs> All right. You've waved your magic wand. Now, look into your crystal ball. Five-year prediction. One good thing and one bad thing that you think will happen. Okay. Five years from now, I uh, so actually one thing I've been uh, been watching pretty closely is um, topics around uh, software bill of materials, and that is something I think that we're going to start seeing more nutritional label type of things on on our software. Um, that could be one of the the good things. I um, maybe another topic that that is uh, that is interesting to me is you know a lot of the work that's been done to secure supply chains and and really thinking through that recently. That's that's another that would add on my exciting or good things in in five years is just continued progress on secure supply chains. I do think that in five years we're also going to see a little bit better cross-sector organization around cybersecurity topics and the, the type of support that, that really builds up that, that public-private partnership aspect of it, um, information sharing, right, but also tool sharing and, uh, and, and developing playbooks that can work across sectors um, or, or uh, central organizations that are really developing that type of concept. That's something I think we'll see in, in the next five years for sure. On the downside, um, maybe a, a little bit of a of a, uh, a generic remark here, but um, I think that at the same time that we that we are upskilling and building our defense, uh, adversaries are also upskilling and learning just as hard. So you know, I think that this is a continuing process um, of learning and and developing tools and creating the learning opportunities and experiences that are needed to maintain and, and build a, a you know a, a world-class cyber defense uh, workforce um, it's an ongoing exercise and I think that we need to approach it really with like an agile eye right of, of continuing to 
look to what's next, making sure that we're using the, the best technology, making sure that we're adjusting our, our process and, and guidelines uh, on the newest information and, um, and really working together as an industry to address some of those needs. We, we are uh, looking for employers. Um, I will say we are looking for employers that are interested in joining and we're hoping to get a second cohort uh, launched by April. So that's the that's the the deadline that we're looking to, is to to really have a second cohort um, leading employers in industrial cyber uh, across all the in, uh, industrial sectors, uh, you know, reach out and uh, let's talk. We've got a great framework. We want to work with you. Uh, we've got you know ideas to share, and we want to hear yours too. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hack the Plant, a podcast of the R Street Institute and ICS Village Nonprofit. Subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. Even better, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so we can reach even more listeners. Tell us what you thought about it and who we should interview next by finding us on Twitter at RSI or at ICS underscore village. Finally, if you want to know more about R Street or ICS Village, visit rstreet.org or icsvillage.com. I'm your host, Bryson Borg. Thank you to executive producer Tyler Lowe of Fader Creative, creative producer William Gray, and editor Dominic Sterrett of Sterrett Production.